Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And it's the biggest night of the year, not only in sports, but in entertainment, as it's the third annual Goldie Awards. But of course, we can't get right to those. We have some other topics we want to talk about first. Let that anticipation build a little bit longer. I know it's cruel to do that to you guys. You've been waiting so long for the Goldie Awards, but you'll just have to wait a few minutes longer. Because there are a few things happening in the Packers offseason that we wanted to talk about, and also something that we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, after the Super Bowl show, because the Super Bowl was such a interesting uh, game, uh, one of the greatest of all time as far as a story standpoint. And we never got a chance to talk about something great that happened to an, a Packers alumni, and that is Ron Wolf. Uh, in my opinion, surprisingly being elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a member of the class of 2015. And Matt, let's get right into it. Before we break down some of the other uh, the inductees that enter with Ron Wolf, were you surprised that Wolf got in? And uh, what were your thoughts when you found out that he did get in? Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I mean, I, I think that the newer generation like us, we associate him mostly with the Packers and winning uh, just the one Super Bowl, but he—I mean—he has a long history before that too of, mm-hmm. of great things. So, mm-hmm. I think kind of all generations sort of know who he is, and I, I think that helps. But I was still surprised that he got in. Yeah, for sure. And we're biased, and we were pulling for him. But uh, and he did some really nice things with the Packers. And maybe it's just something that people our age can't quite comprehend. I mean, we're very aware of the history of the Packers between Lombardi and Favre, but we experienced all of that after the fact. Like, it's maybe the the bad part of a story. It's, you know, when we look at it now, it's maybe like the, to, for a nerdy reference, it's the, the Empire Strikes Back part of the story. We know it's yeah. going to work itself out, where... Maybe this is just a reflection of how the people who actually lived through that era really thought that the Packers were down and out for good and that Ron Wolf pulled off a miracle. Because if you look back at it from us, knowing what happens with the Packers, it just is like, wow, that's, you know, he, he did some great things. But there's been a lot of teams like the Patriots and uh, like the Indianapolis Colts and Bill Polian got elected as well that were down in the dumps and were rescued by people. But the Packers didn't weren't the 49ers or the Cowboys or the Steelers. They were a really nice team that was competitive and has been for 25 years, but they've only won two titles. Plenty of teams and plenty of sports have done that. Right, and and I think going into the free agency helps, but, I mean, you look at a Packer team that for for so long was nowhere, and, I mean, barely making the playoffs at all for, Mm -hmm. you know, since the late 60s for Mm -hmm. almost 30 years. It really is incredible what they did there in the early 90s to kind of turn this thing around because it was – no free agents were coming here, and to somehow land Reggie White and to make the trade for Brett Favre and, and set all the pieces together to do what they did, it, it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, yeah, what can you say about that? For a team to be down for so long, I mean, there's teams that have been bad for 50 years, so it's not like it's yeah. it's a certain thing that they're going to get turned around at some point. I mean, somebody had to do it, and they did all the right things. Yeah, for sure, and the Brett Favre one is kind of just now we're like, oh, yeah, he traded for Brett Favre, but... He traded a first-round draft choice for a guy from southern Mississippi, which back then you didn't have a lot of mid-major quarterbacks that were succeeding in the NFL, a guy who had almost died in a car accident, and in his one season in the NFL, missed the team photo because he was too drunk to come, and he threw four passes, two of which were intercepted. And he traded a first-round pick for him, and it worked out. I mean, that would have been career suicide if Favre hadn't been what he turned out to be. Mm -hmm. And I think one last thing, uh, I would love to know more about how he persuaded Reggie White to come to Green Bay. That's another thing that's starting to get into the time when we were watching live, but free agency was new. But having gone back and watched a lot of that stuff, there were a lot of big money free agents in the early years. There was Richard Dent and Ricky Jackson and Ricky Waters and Deion Sanders, they all went to Dallas or to San Francisco, and sometimes you would have one that would end up in Denver or 
Pittsburgh, Kevin Green going to Pittsburgh. I mean, these are teams that had been good for a long, long time. You didn't see many of those guys ending up with the Indianapolis Colts or the teams that were down in the dumps right. like the Packers were. They weren't going to New England to play for the Patriots, even though Bill Parcells was there. Uh, so I think Reggie White, uh, getting him to come, not only helped the Packers tremendously, but really helped the concept of free agency, I think. Oh yeah, for sure, and and it's still a struggle for teams like that these days, obviously. But I I mean everybody can land guys if they got the money to spend on it. I mean, really, it's actually almost the opposite if you think about it. Now it's the teams like Jacksonville and Oakland and Cleveland that are landing the big free agents because they're willing to overspend. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's kind of funny, but uh, but you're right. At the time, it just wasn't happening. You think about all those teams, the lower half teams and the small market teams weren't getting anybody back then. Yeah, and uh, final point on that. If people, I mean, it's been 20 years or 20 plus years, but take the time some time to just go to Pro, Fo- uh, Pro Football Reference and look at the 49ers roster uh, from 93 to 94 to 95. Mm-hmm. That 49ers team that won the Super Bowl in 1994 is like the 1990 NFL Pro Bowl team. Yeah, they got sure. every single big free agent that was available. They signed them all the one-year deals. They won the Super Bowl, and then most of them left or retired. So. It's crazy that they were able to get Reggie to come here because he easily could have went to San Francisco or Dallas, especially when the the gimmick that he claimed was that he wanted to win a championship was his only motivation. Right. Although when people tell that story, because it's part of the Reggie White narrative, they forget to uh, mention that he also signed the biggest contract. The biggest one, yeah. (laughs) But we'll give him credit for that as well. Let's talk about the rest of the Hall of Fame class, which I thought was an interesting one. You had Jerome Bettis the running back from the Steelers, Tim Brown, the wide receiver of the Raiders, Charles Charles Haley, the 49er and Dallas Cowboy, who uh, he got traded, I think, in, or maybe it was that Plan B free agency, but again, a guy who went from powerhouse to powerhouse. Bill Polian, who was the general manager for Buffalo, Carolina in the early years when they went to the NFC Championship game, and then the Peyton Manning Colts, so a lot. Uh, and he started with Buffalo in 1986 when they were 2-14 and 14 and left after they had gone to their third Super Bowl. So... Definitely a lot of credit goes to him for mm-hmm. building three strong teams. Junior Seau, uh, the former great linebacker, most notably of the San Diego Chargers. Uh, Will Shields, the guard from the Chiefs, who was one of those guys who all I knew about him was he was the best guard in football, even though I I had no expertise as to why. <laughs> it was just something we were told for years, but probably deserves it. And, of course, long time coming, Mick Tinglehoff uh, was able to come in. A lot of people were uh, on you know they they've been pulling for Tinglehoff for years now. That's so, a great name. <laughs> yeah, yes. So I thought there was a lot of eyebrow raisers in this, especially considering that once again Kevin Green is snubbed, and to me the most shocking snub, Kurt Warner. Yeah, and and that's what's surprising to me is you think a guy like Kurt Warner in this class might even be the headliner. Mm-hmm. And I mean it's probably going to be Seau, but. They, yeah, it's kind of crazy for a guy like Warner, who I thought had really established himself as a first ballot Hall of Famer at the end of his career, and for him not to get in was surprising to me, especially not an extremely strong class. Uh, give me Kurt Warner over Jerome Bettis any day of the week, yeah. and even a guy like Tim Brown. Um, so yeah, kind of surprising to me as well. I, I think it's a class full of a lot of good players. You don't have that one standout guy, but I, I'm not going to put up too strong of an argument against anybody, but it would have been nice to see Warner in Yeah, and I just don't understand how Charles Haley gets in and Kevin Green doesn't. Now, I know the team accomplishment is there. He won, what, five Super Bowls? I think he's the only player to ever do that uh, until Tom Brady. But, no, Tom Brady didn't win five. He's got four. But, uh, anyways, to have him in there and not have Kevin Green is kind of a head-scratcher to me. Um, I know we were just kind of joking on his name, and he's from the 60s and 70s, and he was on a powerhouse team, but... Like, Mick Tinglehoff, I had never heard of before this, and he was like, I can't remember the guy who was last year, Claude Humphrey, who they're, it seems like these old guys just get in a room and they decide, oh, yep, it's definitely the, this year for Fritz Tinglefors, right. or, or, you know, and we just have to make it happen, and Kurt Warner is like, I don't understand how he didn't get in, I mean, he took two terrible franchises, to the, yeah, the Rams and the Cardinals. Two teams that have been terrible. Yeah. The Cardinals had sucked since the 40s, and the Rams had sucked for... They were the only team, until 1999, they were the only team who, who had not made the playoffs in the 90s. And then he takes them to a Super Bowl. Uh, if they beat New England, they're a dynasty, or, or two and three years, so... 
Yeah, and, and he's on TV, so that goes against my theory that all you have to do is be an analyst on TV to get to the Hall yeah. of Fame. Um, and the thing that really baffles me is that I had heard one of the people who was a voter, I can't remember who it was, but it was like a radio interview, and they said that the main thing they do when they're debating who gets in and who isn't is, well, are, were they dominant at their position? Nowadays, everybody has statistics. Were they dominant at their position? Kurt Warner was the best player in football for three years. Yep. Has Jerome Bettis ever been even considered the best running back? I mean, his best years were what? Probably from 1996 to maybe 2001, and... Those are the years he shared with Terrell Davis and Marshall Falk. There's no way anybody even considered him to be the best back in the league when those guys were running all over the yeah, place. Yeah, com- completely agreed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so very uh, interesting. And Tim Brown is another one of those. It's, it's kind of like Andre Reed, where where do you put him in when there's guys like, well, Tim Brown got in over Marvin Harrison. Do you think that's weird? Yeah, kind of weird. I don't, I don't know, but then if you're talking about dominance, I mean... I think Tim Brown in his prime was probably considered more of a dominant player than Harrison, although he was catching a lot more passes. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of people realize that that had a lot to do with Peyton Manning, and nobody ever really considered him a you know an elite athlete or anything. He was a great receiver for a while, for sure. But yeah, um, I think he'll he'll get in eventually because of the just the volume of passes he caught. And don't get me wrong, he was a great player. But mm-hmm. I I don't know, they're hard to compare. But I think Tim Brown in his prime was more of an elite player. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made there. I have been kind of critical of Tim Brown and these kind of debates over the years, but uh, as I've mentioned many times on the show, I'm, I'm a collector of old games, and I'm always digging through addicts to find old tapes, and I've had a chance to see more prime Tim Brown recently, and I've changed my tune a bit because he's really, really good, and he played for a lot of forgotten teams, but it felt, and I hate to use these cliches because it drives me nuts, but... You know, you're never a one-man team, but a lot of those mid-90s teams, it did feel a little bit like Tim Brown against the world. Uh, catching passes from a different quarterback every week. I mean, uh, Hostetler was good at times, but he'd be hurt a lot. He's catching from Vince Evans and Billy Joe Hobart and Jeff George and then Rich Gannon. And I feel like I was maybe a little bit more influenced by the 2000. One 2002 Tim Brown where he got a lot of publicity because they're on a winning team and he was old and slow and not very right. good. But those early 90s and uh, mid-90s Tim Brown, he's phenomenal. And uh, I think Marvin Harrison, this is just a case where great work, uh, but then you see that Reggie Wayne has yeah, all fame numbers. the same thing and probably more. Yeah. <laughs> and then look at D- Demarius Thomas goes from a guy nobody's ever heard of to discussion as the best receiver in the NFL once Peyton Manning gets in town. So I think he's probably punished a little bit for that. Uh, yeah, I guess anything else on the Hall of Fame before we wrap this up? Did they get it right, or do you just still hate those jerks for not putting in uh, Kevin Green like I do? Yeah, I, I mean, there's I definitely have questions about it. I think there's guys sitting out there that deserve to be in more than some of these guys that get in, but it, it's hard to really argue against some of these great players getting in. I never really want to put up too big of a fight against someone getting in. Yeah, I'm always of the theory that the people just don't like Kevin Green for some reason because he was a very boisterous guy who was in pro wrestling during the summers. Sure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I don't know. Probably not true, but that's that's my story. I'm sticking to it. So let's talk about the Packers right now and uh, things quiet on the free agent front. So we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with Randall Cobb and Brian Bulaga. And uh, Matt, admittedly, I haven't been reading too much about that stuff, but I have heard almost nothing about the progress on either of those guys' contracts. Yeah, I haven't heard much. I, I know I've heard Randall Cobb is asking for nine million in their negotiations, but I don't know about where they are on that. Okay. And um, I, uh, it looks like Bostic just signed with the Vikings. Oh. Pff. Uh, we should have guessed that. Jeez. Of course, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm i kind of in the same boat here as I haven't looked into it too much here, but, yeah, kind of hoping we hear soon on that Cobb situation. Well, the good thing about Bostic signing with the Vikings is that unlike most of these players that go over there and we're like, oh, no, what is he going to tell them? The reason Bostic supposedly wasn't on the field very much is he couldn't remember the plays. So uh, we shouldn't be too worried about him giving away trade secrets. And if you do, they're probably incorrect <laughs> yeah. anyways. Right. Like, well, I'm pretty sure they did this on this play, and it's completely wrong, and we beat him 50-0 to zero next time. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really hope they get Cobb back. I really hope they get Bulaga back. I'm curious to see what happens to Tremont Williams Today I was imagining, I hadn't heard the Bostic thing, but Tremont Williams is definitely going to be a Viking, isn't he? 
Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I, I hope he tests the market and he finds it not that great, and he decides to come back for a a fair deal because, as much as I've uh, criticized him quite a bit over the last couple of years, I think that he's one of those. He's almost like Sam Shields when you overpaid for him last year. It's like, wow, is he really worth the money? But then again. The amount of effort it takes to replace a Tremont Williams, whatever level he's at, is quite great. It's not like yep. finding a new James Jones. Finding a new Tremont Williams is going to be incredibly difficult. Right, and and he's probably at the point in his career too where he's not likely going to land on a winning team if he decides to go elsewhere. So yeah, I guess he has to decide if he wants to take that one big last contract and maybe sign in Tennessee or something. Yeah, for a large contract, or if he wants to take a little bit less money and try to win another Super Bowl. Yeah, because he's not Darrell Rivas, so no great team is just going to grab him and let him walk on as a starter. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have to earn his way there unless he signs with, like you said, a bad team that is desperate for anybody to come play for him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. The other thought I had is maybe he's a little bit ready to leave town. I mean, he was the guy who watched the game-winning touchdown right in front of his face right. <laughs> against Seattle. Although, I don't think... Do you think he deserves more blame than he's getting for that? It felt like maybe that was just a, a great call by Seattle, and he was trying to cover a guy one-on-one with no inside help, which seems to be impossible in the modern NFL. Yeah, yes and no. I, I do give him a lot of blame for that one, though. I mean, you're, you're man up one-on-one on a post route. I yeah. mean, if, if you know you don't have safety help, and he, I would imagine on that play, knew he didn't. Tackle the guy. It's it. the NFC title game. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to know that you can't let somebody get inside on that on a a wide open middle of the field, so I, I do give him a lot of blame, and I haven't heard much on it, but yeah. I also haven't heard much else in terms of the coaching on that play either, but it sure looked like he knew he was man-on-man and got beat on a post by an average receiver. Yeah, Seattle's meltdown almost completely erased the Packers' meltdown. Um, the Seattle is now yeah, the butt of all jokes, and Pete Carroll's the idiot, and Russell Wilson's the choker, and you don't hear anything about the Packers anymore, and maybe that'll help the Packers going forward. I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're completely right. I mean, it was a one or a, basically a, a two week thing. People were talking about maybe even one week, mm-hmm. and now looking back on it, it's it's dwarfed by the the Super Bowl loss. So, although our collapse was probably a little bit more drastic and, and mm-hmm. improbable, theirs is the one that's going to be remembered. And going into the off season, people probably don't even really remember what happened, <laughs> which is maybe good. You can kind of yeah. move on, give yourself a chance. The big uh, factor or um, story that has happened for the Packers offseason is that Mike McCarthy has decided to give up the play calling. Tom Clements is going to have it. They've given a lot of fluffy titles to guys who are all somehow getting promoted, but nobody's losing their job, which is Mm -hmm. one of those strange kind of corporate America type things. But so Tom Clements is now, what, the assistant or associate head coach or something like that? Because I thought Winston Moss is also the assistant head coach, so they must have some different... Maybe you can have two assistant head coaches. I don't know. Yeah, you probably have as many as you want. (laughs) Yeah, you can have 40. Everybody's assistant head coach. (laughs) And then Edgar Bennett has been promoted to offensive coordinator, and I think Scott Van Pelt... Not Scott Van Pelt. Alex Van Pelt (laughs) is going to be taking over both running backs and then maintaining his job as the quarterback coach. Yep. So a lot of shuffling. I think a lot of the title changing is kind of meaningless, and it's McCarthy throwing some bones since supposedly every time another team requests to talk to a coach of his that's under contract, he denies access every time. So really the only way they can get promoted while they're still under contract is if McCarthy himself does it. So I think that's what he's trying to do here. Sure. But the big thing is the play calling. And what were your thoughts when you heard that he was going to do that, and how do you think this might play out? I was pretty surprised that he would be willing to do that, and from what I've heard, it's it's more he wants to spend more time with other areas of the team as opposed to just that, but mm-hmm. I would imagine he kind of knows all the criticism he's getting for, for the play calling, and this isn't a recent thing, too, I mean, back since he's, he's been here. Yeah. I remember early 2010, he was just getting crushed by everybody, and then it's kind of come back again lately here, too, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, if you've got somebody else you feel can do a good job, and I, I think it's kind of time for it, too, I hate to say it, I've been pretty soft on McCarthy over the years, but I think when you're that bad in the red zone with such a good offense, I mean, something needs to change, Mm -hmm. and I feel like Clemens can do just as good of a job in the open field, but if we can maybe just see some changes to be more effective in certain aspects, then I guess it's a good thing, but I was definitely surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised, and part of me thinks that Clemens getting the job is a very veiled way of saying that Aaron Rodgers is going to be calling the plays. Yeah. 
and it's going to be more of a Peyton Manning type situation. And I know they're going to have their input, but maybe that's kind of a concession to Rodgers, who's always wanted as much control as he could possibly have, and maybe they're giving him more control. And I know he trusts Tom Clements a lot, and they have a good relationship, so we'll see how that plays out. But I'm actually kind of worried about this move, to be honest with you. And I know he's been criticized, and the red zone thing you brought up is great. You know, the season starts to fade as soon as it's over. I kind of forgot how bad they were in the red zone. But on the flip side of the coin, in 2012, which isn't all that long ago, they were one of the best red zone teams ever. I mean, they were converting, like, 80% of their drives were were touchdowns once they got into the red zone, which is a pretty good clip. Mm -hmm. And I think by far they were the best in the league that year. And so I I almost think red zone might be something that just kind of happens one year and then doesn't another year, just sort of flip-flops. I feel a little bit like this move, I hope it doesn't happen, and I think McCarthy's more careful, but it's a response to what happened in Seattle. And... It reminds me of what they did to the defense after the 2003 season with the 4th and 26 meltdown. When they fired Ed Donatel, and we got to be more aggressive, they built the whole team to stop 4th and 26. Well, no matter how badly you want to, you never get 4th and 26 back. It's gone forever, and you took your defense that was middle of the road and turned them into the worst defense in the NFL because yeah. you wanted to stop 4th and 26. You can't stop 4th and 26. You're going to face a lot more 3rd and 1s and second and fives, then fourth and 26s, and they ruined the defense doing that, and it ruined everything, and they drafted a terrible cornerback in an effort to stop, you know, I want to be aggressive, I want fast guys, I want to be able to stop fourth and 26, because it just sticks in your cross so much that you let such an easy play get away. They let the same thing happen in Seattle. The offensive play calling did not lose them that game. He wants to focus on special teams. Yes, special teams was poor in that game, but how many games in the history of the the franchise have you won or lost solely because of special teams? It's not that important. I don't need Mike McCarthy in the special teams meetings. Um, ultimately, the special teams was terrible. They had the worst field goal kicking season of a guy this side of Lou Groza in 2012, and it didn't matter. They still won a division title with mm-hmm. Mason Crosby missing, you know, what one of every three or uh, yeah, one of every four field goals. And so, yeah, it's a long-winded answer, but I feel like they're breaking down something that works because they lost on flukes. They didn't lose because McCarthy was too conservative, because two weeks later, Pete Carroll lost because they were too aggressive. They lost because they lost, and nobody can explain it. It was a total fluke thing, and I don't think they need to overanalyze Seattle and try to figure out what they'll do in a similar situation, because they'll never be in that situation again. You might lose a lot of games trying to be aggressive and trying to fix your special teams that you would have won because you're obsessed with getting the last five minutes of Seattle back, and it's never going to happen. Um, and so I'm sure they're they're taking care of that, but gosh, it feels like a drastic move to me for what essentially was a total fluke that you lost. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I, I think it's going to be nearly as drastic. I, I think definitely we'll see some changes, but I, McCarthy's still on the sidelines. And it, yeah. This is also a coach that's been under McCarthy for, for a few years yeah. now, too, so I think they're going to have very similar play-calling styles. Sure. So, I, I mean, as opposed to just canning your whole defense after a bad play, at least this one, you still got the same guys out there, and I think yeah, it's that's fair. pretty close to the same thing. So I, I don't think, you know, just from... Somebody on the outside not knowing, you might not even notice too much of a difference. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right there. That That's a good point. I'm a somewhat concerned, though, is especially if Aaron Rodgers starts to get more control over the offense, that it would be hard to pull those reins back with a player as good as Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. You know, if, if it just doesn't work out or if it's a little bit sluggish, they're both professionals and they've worked very well together over the last, uh, what, six, seven years. But it makes me a little bit nervous if McCarthy, after next year, and the offense slips to eighth or ninth, you know, with how talented they are, and all of a sudden you go back to Aaron and be like, oh, yeah, I changed my mind, so now all these checks are going to be my checks. That's sure. going to be hard to swallow as a player as good as Aaron. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So we'll see what happens with that. Unfortunately, we still have to wait months and months in order to see how that's all going to play out. But... You don't have to wait anymore for the most exciting moment in sports, the goalies.
Welcome to the third annual Goldie Awards. And now we have been getting contacted by famous people from all over the globe, some from other globes. Uh, that's a story for another day, that people are just coming from everywhere to try to host the Goldie Awards. And so the only fair thing to do was to put all of the interested names in a hat and then select one person to host the Goldie Awards. And it turns out the person who won the drawing, the completely random drawing, was our own Matt. What are the chances? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> every And every year I'm surprised by it, too. I've been the special <laughs> guest host three years running now, so I feel like I should always... Next year maybe I'll actually prepare a nice little like skit beforehand like they do at all the award shows, but I got nothing this year again. You're getting so. right up there with Billy Crystal. Yeah, <laughs> just sign me up every single year. Here. We're good to go. So we've got, let's see here, we've got ten categories. Some of them were fill-in-the-blanks, and some of them were multiple choice. So mm-hmm. thanks to everybody who participated in here. It's pretty awesome. We doubled our responses from last year, Yeah, which is great. So, um, Eric, I don't know if you've got a preference on where we start, if we want to end with the MVP, or we just want to start there right away. Well, that's a tough one, because uh, the MVP, I think, doesn't provide a lot of drama. So. Right. Let's do the MVP first, and then we'll go back, and then the last award will be the Offensive Player of the Year. Does that make sense? Okay. Yep, sounds good. I was thinking the same thing here. So, okay. um, All right, so the, the first category, and most important and probably most obvious, however, uh, is the 2014 Packers Team MVP. So uh, would you like me to go over the options here, or would you like to, Eric? No, you can go over the options. Okay. So we'll start off with the uh, the quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. He had his first team NFL All-Pro, uh, second NFL MVP award this year, um, and had just an incredible season. Uh, second choice, linebacker Julius Peppers, new to the team this year, seven sacks, two picks, return for touchdowns, six forced fumbles, and 11 passes knocked down. Some good stats there. Uh, linebacker Clay Matthews, 11 sacks, one pick, two forced fumbles, nine passes defensed, and uh, switched to middle linebacker in the middle of the year, which really turned things around. Uh Wide receiver Jordy Nelson, 98 catches, uh, 1,519 receiving yards, 13 touchdowns, and Eddie Lacy, 1,139 rushing yards, 427 receiving yards, and 13 total touchdowns. All right, so what we'll do is uh, what we've done in in previous years where I'll say my answer, you can say yours, and then we'll share the overall answer. All right, sounds good. My choice was Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know if we need to go into this too much. As much as you, you kind of want to pick Julius Peppers after reading that stat line or Jordy Nelson for his insane year, Clay for turning that defense around, you you really can't pick anybody else. So i got to say Rodgers, too, and I, I assume our fans did as well. They did, almost unanimously. He got all but one vote. Eddie Lacy got one vote. I, I'm hoping that's from Eddie himself. Yep, um, I think it was. Well, we got this picture of him on the red carpet. Yeah, and he was he was pretty sure that he was going to win it. So wherever Eddie is out in the crowd, oh, there he is. Um, so sorry, Eddie, you, you got it last year, uh, may, maybe next year. I would like to say this about Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, he's great, but I feel the sense that I have to redeem myself just a little bit because I've I criticize Aaron Rodgers on here a lot, and uh, people that I watch games with and and that I talk to, they always think I'm very hard on Aaron Rodgers, and I'm sure some of our fans think that too. And I'm critical of him because he is so good. And I know that's not fair, but we did a show last year about uh, the top ten quarterbacks of all time, and I did mine very, very stat-based. And according to the statistics, from a volume standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, Aaron Rodgers is maybe the best of all time. I mean, the only one who was close was Peyton Manning, and this was before Rodgers had the absolute insane season he had this year. I'd love to run him again in the offseason. But a lot of people discredit Aaron Rodgers for the eyeball test. There are people that don't like numbers, and I don't know, you know, if if people don't like numbers or they're not comfortable with them. But the argument against Rodgers is he's got great numbers, but you know he's not like Montana or Brady. He doesn't pass the eyeball test. Well, I just wanted to say to redeem myself once and for all. I've watched so many quarterbacks. I've seen every major Hall of Fame quarterback play an actual broadcast game. Every single one's this side of Johnny Unitas. And from the eyeball test, Aaron Rodgers is still the best I've ever seen. He's better than Steve Young. He's better than Joe Montana. He just, it looks different when he's doing it. I would put him up there with anybody ever. And this year, I think he proved it to even, you know, maybe not Colin Cowherd, but all the, you know, reasonable doubters out there. And so I just wanted to say that, that I'm going to continue to criticize Aaron, but 
I'm not an idiot. I can realize how great this guy is. He might be the best we'll ever see. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right there. Okay, let's move right. on. Here, well, big crowd cheer. Aaron's getting his award. <laughs> yeah, no big surprise there. Mm-hmm. So we'll go down to the bottom of the list if anybody has their survey up and is following along. Um, <laughs> this is the Because They Deserve It Award to a Packer we think is worthy of an award for reason. Um, and here it says that's not already covered, but basically any of the other ones we had there, this is just kind of an award for award's sake for a person who deserves it. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to share your choice first this time around? Sure, I can here. Um, I I wish I would have printed my thing off here, but I I gave mine to Mike Daniels this year. Okay. Um, I think the things that he does aren't flashy, and I think it's clear to anybody who watched every game this year that he was a complete difference maker this year and was a fantastic defensive lineman, one of the best in the NFL. And he just he doesn't get the you know the accolades that a guy like Peppers or Clay is going to get. And I think he was just incredible this year, and I think it goes without notice a lot of times. So I wanted to give him this award for myself. Yeah, that's a great choice. He really created the havoc that allowed for those other guys you mentioned to be successful. And yeah. you got to have those big guys on the line or you really don't have much of a chance. And it looked like we were going to be in big trouble once Eddie La- or, uh, once B.J. Raji got injured. And, and Mike Daniels, did you even think of the name B.J. Raji after week two? No. <laughs> I mean, um, so, yeah, I, Mike Daniels is a great choice. My choice was Mason Crosby. I think oh. he quietly had a phenomenal season, and he would have gone down in Packers history as, you know, one of the biggest plays in franchise history, drilling that long field goal had they stopped the two-point conversion in Seattle. Um, He had almost all the points in that game. He had that rough year two years ago. He recovered last year, and this year I was like, well, there, there has to be some regression back to the mean, but he was still super solid almost every single time, no matter the weather. I was like, oh, this one's going to miss, and he never did. Uh, I thought he had a great season. Yeah, we were ready to boot him out of the NFL two years ago, and now, I mean, he's completely reliable. We were, because we're pessimists, we were sure he's going to miss that field goal against Seattle, but he was so money all year long, and uh, hopefully he continues that. It was just incredible to see him turn that around, and whatever was wrong with him a couple years ago is completely gone. Yeah, for sure. Boot him out of the NFL. Those kind of puns is why you get to host the Goldies every year, (laughs) even if it's a random drawing. (laughs) And actually, the the fan, did you have something to add? Nope, go ahead. Okay, the fans actually agreed with me. Uh, Mason Crosby nice. got uh, uh, the most write-in votes. Um, we had quite a few other people mentioned, but Mason Crosby got over half of them, which is kind of wow, interesting. Wow, surprising. Yeah, um, we got some, another for Eddie Lacy, which, uh, you know, Eddie must have just wrote his name on everything. <laughs> uh, and then several others, but the best one was Ha Ha Clinton Dix for the funniest name. Uh, All right, great. There's something to be said for that as well. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, Mason definitely deserves it. Yeah, I didn't even think about that one, but he had a great year. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum here, this is the one-way ticket award. So we've done this for the last couple of years. Which player, coach, or front office member would we like to award a one-way ticket out of town? Who do you got for this one, Eric? I voted for Brad Jones. I've had enough of that experiment. Yes. And I just... I'm uneasy when he's on the field. He's supposedly a brilliant guy. I somehow was reading about him the other day, and he just completed his second degree, and this one is for astrophysics. Uh, So, Brad, you're a very smart guy. You could better serve humanity by learning more about space and time and not ruining third downs for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, yes, please. Yeah, and it's weird because his he gets those dumb penalties too. It's not like he's just a yeah. bad player. He just makes these stupid mistakes. Um, and that is definitely the obvious choice that I didn't even think of because maybe <laughs> I was just kind of assuming he was already on his way out of town here, so he didn't need my vote. Yeah, I, I voted for AJ, mm-hmm. AJ Hawk. Um, I just he regressed so much last year, and he found himself sitting on the bench, but that he still managed to find his way into the NFC Championship game for a colossal screw up. Yeah. So I, I Brad Jones is terrible and I think everybody knows that. But I guess I voted for AJ because <laughs> I mean he's still the team's leading tackler of all time and he's been good for us, although he's gotten a lot of heat since he's been here, but I I think it's finally time he's gone. Yeah, uh that's definitely a good choice and the fans say now we have a very I don't know how this happens, but we have a tie for a write in vote, which is very <laughs> difficult. Nice. Um we also had some other ones for people we've mentioned. Tremont Williams was on there. Brandon Bostic was on there. Brad Jones was on there. Um, A.J. Hawk and Dom Capers tied. 
Okay. So I don't know if we're uh, the Goldies policy. Are we allowed to have co-winners, or do we have to choose a winner here? I think we, um, we can have a tie-breaking vote, can't we? Yeah, I, I think so. How do, where do we get that vote from? Um, you and me, perhaps. <laughs> okay. Well, to me, I don't know. I mean, we've been talking about getting Dom Capers out of town for like the last three years, and I'm sure he was our award winner for this last year. So yeah, I he guess was. Did I you would... not see that we had the photo on uh, on the Facebook page of him happily accepting the award? He's a little delusional, Dom is, because he was very pleased to be receiving the one-way ticket award. Yeah, so maybe we need to spread the wealth with a new trophy to a new guy. I don't think AJ's ever gotten one before. Although yeah. this isn't the one you want to get, but it's still a trophy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think we're going to give it to AJ Hawk. Uh, Dom, I don't know. I mean, definitely can hear an argument for Dom Capers, but he also sort of redeemed himself this year. Yeah, he did. That was a colossal collapse at the end of the NFC Championship game, but part of it was because Clay Matthews was out injured, um, and he really elevated this defense this year. So I... I you know, I I think a lot of those fans are right, but I think we're going to go with AJ Hawk. Yeah, I think I feel better about Dom right now than I have at any point <laughs> since he started with the Packers, really. So I, they had a much better year last year. This is the best I've felt about Dom since 2010. Yeah. Not even close to how good I felt about Dom after 2010, mind you, but better than I did after the debacle against Kaepernick and the, the Giants in 11 and then last year where they were just awful the whole season. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on. All right, so the the next question we have here was, or the next award is the Donald Driver Award for which player greatly improved or contributed much more than was expected, Eric. So who did you have here for this one? I actually had Latroy Guyon. Oh, that's a great one, yeah. Well, it was a great one before I found out he was Pablo Escobar's running buddy. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so I, I, I still stand by it. I think it's, it's good, but I kind of want to... Uh, change my vote? I, am I allowed to change a vote if somebody gets arrested after the fact? You can't, I, because it's a season award. I mean, he's not going to be around going forward, but he definitely contributed more, I think, than we expected when we got him. Yeah, I had never heard of this guy before, and he was a pretty strong contributor on the defense. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be around going forward, which is disappointing, and uh, it's sad to see what happened to him. And um, I hope he can turn himself around, or, or whatever the case may be there, but I stand by that. I I didn't expect anything from him, and he turned out to be a pretty solid starter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get like a second, third string tackle from the Vikings, and you don't expect anything, but he was a good starter. So, mm-hmm. um, I voted for Morgan Burnett for this award, and I know he's been a starter for years, and he's considered a pretty decent player, but I had never been a big fan until this year, and I think there was games this year where he stood out as one of the best players on the defense and made a lot of big plays, so... I think he really changed my mind, and I think really from most of the other guys, we kind of got what we expected. I think, you know, Guyon was a nice surprise, but for the most part, you kind of knew what we had, but I thought Burnett really stepped up and became a, a big, crucial part of that defense this year. Yeah, um, definitely a good choice there. Um, yeah, he uh, he should have ran back that interception. Yeah, for sure. Game, but, yeah, I think there's a good point. That's definitely a, a lesser detriment than my pick had against him uh yeah that's true we actually had another tie in the write-in and it was a three-way tie which is ridiculous for a write-in and uh we had a lot of votes for you had morgan burnett in there haha clinton Dix had a vote Uh, we also had some votes for clay matthews and some other guys the the guys who were on here were all three rookies Corey lindsley Devontae adams and richard rogers all had a bunch of votes um sure so who do we pick on that, or do we just give it to all three rookies and break the rule we just established one pick ago? Yeah, we could definitely do that. I think, though, if I have to choose one of those, I think that Lindsley's the obvious choice. I mean, as a second-round draft pick receiver, you expect him to contribute a little. Um, and he did have a couple of huge games, but you look at his stat line, and that's pretty, you know, mm-hmm. a pretty standard second-round draft pick receiver stat line. Yeah. Um, Richard Rodgers had a couple of big plays, but wasn't a huge factor for a lot of the season, mm-hmm. where Lindsley started every single game and was a great center. So I think if I had to choose somebody, that's who I'd go with, but I'm also okay with giving it to all of them. Yeah, I think we should, if we didn't let poor Dom have back-to-back one-way ticket awards, I think we got to make a choice here, and I'm going to agree, it's got to be Corey Lindsley out of those three. Uh, Richard Rodgers had a really strong finish to the season. Devontae yeah. Adams had two huge games, but... The rest of the season, it felt like people were just asking what the heck happened to Devontae Adams. Right. And so, like you said, a second-round pick, 
I think it was nice that we got out of him what we did, but he didn't have the rookie impact that James Jones had as a third-round pick or that Jordy Nelson had as... Well, maybe... Maybe what Jordy had, that was pretty similar, but yeah. certainly not Greg Jennings, who was a starter and had almost a 1,000 yards as a rookie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Corey Lindsley will get the Donald Driver Award. Way to go, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were waiting <laughs> right, for the applause, and, you know, these people are just sitting on their hands Yeah, they're tonight. pretty quiet, yeah. It's probably because of the great feast we gave them at the red carpet ceremony. Yeah, everybody's stuffed and, and getting ready to nap here, so... <laughs> Uh, next award here is the Are You Ble- Bleeping Kidding Me Award for the worst play moment of the season. So there's a lot on here, and most of them are from the Seahawks game. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to go over those real quick, the Jordy Nelson drop pass against the Bills, which was a huge one at the time. Uh, the Indomitian Sue Rogers calf stomp. The Brandon Bostic muffed onside kick. The Russell Wilson, uh, Russell Wilson desperation completion for two points against L- to Luke Wilson and uh, Russell Wilson's 35-yard touchdown pass to Jermaine Curse, the one we referenced earlier, where he beat Tremont Williams. Um, I can go first on this one. I th- mm-hmm. I feel like Bostic is going to win, but to me, the one in that game that stuck out as the worst for me was definitely the two-point conversion mm-hmm. because things had been kind of building at that point. We had made some bonehead mistakes before, and that was just the play for me that let you knew that know that we weren't going to win. It, yeah. it was the most improbable across-the-field pass. Clinton Dix was right there to defend it and just for whatever reason didn't, and the tight end goes up and gets it. And it just seemed so unreal to me, and that one hurt the most out of all of these, I think. Yeah, that play was rough. Uh, ugh. All of those are rough. I voted for the Bostic one because... I don't agree with some of the criticisms he's gotten, and obviously some people have been really mean to him on Twitter, and, and he's going to be remembered forever because of that play. Uh, but if he catches that ball, it's over. Yeah. And if he elects not to try to catch the ball and does his job, Jordy catches it, and it's over. And they're in the Super Bowl, and I just can't get over that. The other stuff is terrible, but this was the most definitive one where you make this play – it's over. If you don't make this play, it's not over. The other ones, you still had some, uh, well, obviously the, the Tremont Williams one, but by then it had been such a cascade of errors that it felt like fate at that point. Yeah. Nobody voted for the Jordy Nelson or Indomitian Sioux plays, no surprise here. And it was really a dogfight between the Russell Wilson and the Brandon Bostic plays. So B- Bostic did win, as you predicted. 55% of the vote went to Brandon Bostic. 36% went to the Russell Wilson play. And the remaining Which Russell Wilson one was that? that, you're, that you're... Sorry, the, the Jermaine Curse touchdown. Gotcha, okay. Uh, and then the, the remaining uh, 9% went to the one you selected. Yeah, that curse one was rough, but as soon as that ball went in the air, he just, at least for me, it's like I know it's a touchdown. I just got up and started walking away because I yeah. just was over, so I guess at that point, the other things were so much worse, but yeah. that did end the game, so I can definitely see that. Yeah, for sure. So at least Brandon Bossett gets a trophy on his way out of town there. That's great. Something yeah, to remember go. the Green Bay Packers by. <laughs> Congrats on your Goldie. Are you bleeping kidding me? <laughs> yeah. So in to lead into a much better category, here's the ES Award. <laughs> that was my best Larry McCarron, and it was not good. I apologize. That's right. Um, but uh, the best play or moment of the year. So um, I'll go through these real quick here. We have Julius Peppers' reverse field interception return for a touchdown versus Minnesota on October 2nd. Uh, the Rodgers to Rodgers one-yard touchdown pass, the one that went 40 yards through the air against Minnesota at, at the end of November. That one-yard, uh, Mike- 40-yard pass, yeah. Yes, the one-yard, 40-yard pass. Uh, the Mike Neal and Mike Daniels third down sack of Tom Brady, the sandwich against the Patriots on November 30th. Mm-hmm. The Rodgers uh, walking through the tunnel back to Lambeau against Detroit to help win that game. And the Rodgers 13-yard touchdown bolt to Richard Rodgers to rec- reclaim the lead versus Dallas. So, Eric, what do you have for your play? Um, well, first of all, I completely forgot about the last-second touchdown pass to Corliss when I was writing this list. So I probably would have voted for that one if it was on there, but I think all the other ones are pretty good. I voted for the Rodgers to Rodgers play in Dallas because Rodgers hadn't, Aaron Rodgers hadn't been doing much in that game, and he was able to escape a sack, step up in the pocket, throw a bullet in a double coverage, which is a throw he usually doesn't make, for a touchdown to take a lead in a comeback in a playoff game. It's up there, not even close to as high, but it's in the category that Greg Jen- that throw to Greg Jennings on third and ten in the Super Bowl. It's so un-Aaron Rodgers-like 
to be able to make those kind of throws and those kind of plays in those kind of moments. Usually he's more careful, and for him to do that with an injured leg in a comeback fashion, I just thought was great, and when I think of that Dallas game, that's what's in my mind's eye. Sure, yeah, and I voted for the same thing. Yeah, that Corliss one is a good one, too, but I I may still have stuck with the same one here just because it kind of helped cap off that comeback effort, and it was such a big play, and I remember just going crazy for it. And it's in the biggest situation here, too, so I think that's the right choice. Yeah, I agree for sure. And so the fans, uh, this was a little bit of a dogfight. Rodgers to Rodgers in the Dallas game got 37% of the vote. The Julius Peppers reverse field touchdown was uh, 27% of the vote. And then uh, Mike Neal and Mike Daniels also got uh, 27% of the vote. And the other ones splitting the rest. So, yeah, it was a dogfight. This isn't like last year where last year had, like, it's so weird because this was a really good season, one of the best seasons we've ever seen. But there wasn't that one play like, last year was a terrible season from a record standpoint, and there were, like, four or five plays that were among the greatest in the history of the Packers, so it's kind of strange. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right, moving on to the next one here. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Packers, best game of the year. So a lot of good, I think more than plays, we had a lot of really good games this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a tough one here. We got week six against Miami with a fake spike against the Dolphins, which was a great one. Uh, two two cordless there. Uh, the week ten when we beat the Bears, fifty-five to fourteen, most points ever scored against the Bears with Rodgers six touchdown passes. The week thirteen uh, defeat of the New England Patriots by five points. Rodgers beats Brady. Uh, week seventeen against the Lions, Rodgers get, comes back after being hurt and leads the team to a win and the divisional playoff win against the Dallas Cowboys. You want to share yours first? Sure, and. Um, this was a tough one here, definitely, between the Patriots one and the Cowboys one for me, just because those seem like the biggest matchups. Mm-hmm. But I uh, I chose the Cowboys one. Just Again, it, it's hard to choose against the biggest stage in the divisional round playoff game in, in a game where it felt like you had kind of let it slip away early and you came back to win it. So I, I think to me, although the other ones were fantastic, um, it's hard to put a blowout in that, although it felt really satisfying. It just it, it doesn't quite feel the same after the game's done. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to have to go with the Cowboys one here. Yeah, and surprisingly, I did not pick that Cowboys one, even though that was a great game and it's the first playoff game I've ever seen live. So that's among one of yeah. my favorite Packers experiences ever. But I did select the New England game. It's the one that, even when the schedule came out, I wasn't sure that they were going to be able to do it. And... New England ended up winning the Super Bowl. <clears throat> Excuse me, we didn't know that at the time, but they're just such a tough team to beat. And I was almost expecting to come into this game and then just get trounced because the Packers have had trouble with kind of these good teams. And for them to basically dominate the whole game and then have a team like the Patriots who has a reputation for coming back, they were able to come back and win. And I don't remember the last time a regular season game had that type of atmosphere and I for sure yeah so excited to to have beaten the Patriots and and to see them take down Brady was just awesome yeah and we were almost certain going into that game that they weren't going to win it's not like we were uncertain they were going to win we were fine just writing that game off as a loss going into it so that was a big surprise yeah and to me it felt like it was the turning point where I was like okay this team is for real and this team does have what it takes to win Super Bowls if not this year years going forward and I feel like Dallas was kind of a cap stone to the season where it was like yeah now we're we're definitely starting to get some of those milestones that Aaron Rodgers needs we're going back to the NFC championship game but uh, I felt like the New England one was a little bit more validation sure so what did the fans think for that one Uh, they agreed the Patriots got the Patriots game got 54 percent of the vote Uh, the rest of them kind of split all lower but the Dallas Cowboys one got 20 percent of the vote Okay, I'm kind of surprised with that, but yeah, that Patriots game was huge, so I, I'm not going to disagree too much there. I think it was skewed a little bit because they're the, the defending champs, so I think people just that's true. want to do that. That's yeah. true. All I right. thought that the Detroit game would get more votes, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. That, that game, I, I just remember even after we, it was done, although you win, it just didn't feel that satisfying, and it's just like, I was mad about the Rodgers stuff, and I don't know, just what that wasn't my favorite division winning game that we've had. No, especially when you just had the best one ever possible the year before. Right, yeah. All right, so we've got Rookie of the Year coming next here. Um, so a chance to get some repeat winners here, potentially. We've got uh, J. Ronan Elliott, who was the preseason MVP of the NFL. He had a uh, he had opponents quaking in their boots, as you said, with 17 special team tackles. On <laughs> yeah, this. look out for him. 
Richard Rodgers with 20 catches, 225 yards, two TDs, um, big down the stretch. Center Corey Lindsley started all 18 games at center, received a first-team All-Pro vote. Safety HaHa Clinton-Dix, one interception, a sack, and second on the team in tackles, very impressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, Devontae Adams, 66 catches, 446 in yards and three touchdowns. And the, the big games against New England and Dallas. Yeah, uh, Corey Lindsley was my vote here. I think mm-hmm. starting all 18 games at center and really lucking into that a little bit. And so, yeah, I was, I had no expectations for him to be as good as he was. That was the best offensive line that Aaron Rodgers has ever had, and he was a huge part of it. Yeah, and that's why I voted for him, too, is because some of these other guys had really good games, but then had some bad moments or kind of disappeared at times, whereas Lindsley started every game, and that offensive line was so good. And we've, kind of struggled at center at times over the past few years ever since we let Wells go so Mm -hmm. for him to step in there and be you know even if he wasn't the best player on that offensive line he was a part of a really cohesive unit and that's not easy to be done as a center as a rookie in the NFL so for him to do that I think is really impressive so I, I got him too. Yeah and we've been overruled by the fans but unfortunately only three guys got votes and uh, poor Richard Rogers and J. Ron Elliott did not get any votes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Haha Clinton Dix and Devontae Adams somehow tied. Uh, so okay. they got, uh, each got about 36% of the vote, and then Corey Lindsley got 27% of the vote. So Pretty close. Uh, yeah. So I don't know how to call this one. I think maybe you just have to give it to both of them. Am I, well,. What have we been doing in the? I can't remember now. Did we give it to all three of them, or we just no? We split it every time, so I think we kind of have to find a way to do that again here. Um, I I really like Devontae Adams going forward, but I just am not that impressed. He's he had a nice season, sixty six catches for four hundred and forty six yards is a nice season, but it feels like if you can, that, that's not even as good as Boykin had last year, I don't think. I mean, yeah. receivers are good in Green Bay. The the offense is designed for it, and I, I I have high hopes for Devontae Adams going forward, but I don't think he did anything that, I think if you ranked rookie seasons amongst the good receivers that we'd have recently, he might not even be top five. So I'm yeah, going I with Dicks. <laughs> I would agree with Dicks here, too. I think that he, he had a couple of big gaffes and some big mistakes this year, but we've had a hole at one or two of the safety positions in for a long time in recent memory here since the Super Bowl year. So he came in, did a nice job, made some big plays, got better as the year went. So I think if I'm not going to go with Lindsay, I'd prefer to go with Clint Dix. Yeah, so we'll give it to HaHa, and plus he's got a fun name to say. That's right. Yeah, last year, Jared Boykin, 80, or, uh, 49 catches for 681 yards. So Boykin can get almost 700 yards. I'm not impressed with your 446. Yeah, come on. Especially when James Jones wasn't even on the team. Oh, yeah, true. Terrible season. Worst rookie <laughs> of the year. Yeah, but I think he'll have a, a, an even bigger year next year. But I think he's more of a potential guy. Whereas I, I, uh, I think you're right. I think Clinton Dix had the better year last year. And so. he would have been the hero of the NFC Championship game if they win that one. I mean, he had yep. the terrible play at the end, but he had a, a couple monster. of huge plays. Yeah. Yeah, he had one of the best interceptions that nobody's going to remember. That one-handed uh, catch. That. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so we've got now Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year here. So we'll start with Defensive. Um, a couple of usual suspects on this list with Clay, Mas- Clay Matthews and Tremont Williams. A couple of new names, too. Julius Peppers, new to the team. Morgan Burnett's on here. And then also Mike Daniels. So I can go first here with this one. I I stuck with the usual one. It, it's kind of like the offense for me, too, is... I want to vote for Julius Peppers, I think, and Mike Daniels as well, but I think it's it's hard to pick against Clay Matthews when I think he clearly has the biggest impact on the field. Mm-hmm. And I, I really liked what he did after he switched to inside linebacker, and I thought he had his best year in a couple of years for the Packers. So mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of good seasons by a lot of guys, but I think Clay is still my pick here. I'm going to agree with you again. Uh, I also voted for Clay Matthews for all the reasons that you just said. I know uh, Peppers' stat line is more impressive, but... Clay Matthews, he fixed the defense. Moving inside, yeah. fixed the defense. I ran the stats. After the Clay Matthews switch, they were the fifth best defense in the NFL in points and yards. They were an elite defense once he switched inside. And I don't know what's going to happen going forward, but that's a selfless move by a big-time player to go inside, uh, not his natural position. Had never played it before. His entire 
uh, incentive structure of his contract is based on sacks and Pro Bowls, and you don't get to the Pro Bowl with sacks as a middle linebacker. Mm-hmm. And for him to go inside and still be able to wreak havoc and make plays as an inside linebacker, and, and we discussed during the season almost inventing a newish position, I thought was awesome, and he totally uh, was the MVP, and I, I, I'm very confident in that. Yeah, and I could see him being hesitant about that move at first, but I think we saw late in the year he can still hit all the same numbers he was hitting at, at an outside linebacker at the inside position and making an even bigger impact, so I think it's good for both. And it really allowed for growth from Mike Neal and Nick Perry as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Mike Neal had a good down-the-stretch run for the Packers. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that doesn't matter to the Green and Gold Forever fans, however. They loved them some Julius Peppers, who... Oh, really? Yeah, it was a, it was a close vote. Uh, Morgan Burnett got some votes. Tremont Williams got some votes. No votes for Mike Daniels, which is kind of sad. But yeah. uh, Julius Peppers had 45% of the vote, uh, etching out Clay Matthews, who had 37% of the vote. And I think people get tired of voting for the same guy, too. But yeah. I don't, to me, if you just watch the games, it just seems to me that Clay is a, a little bit more of a disruption for the offense. And he's just, I mean, I don't know. I, I'd much rather go against Julius Peppers than Clay <laughs> Matthews at this point in their career. But mm-hmm. Julius, to come on board, I mean, if we're, this is player of the year, if we're talking most valuable, you might want to say Julius just because he was such a big addition. So I can kind of see that. Yeah, he definitely covered up some problem areas from the years before, but yeah, and I'm I'm totally comfortable with Julius Peppers, but it felt like he was the beneficiary of uh, some of the damage other guys were doing, where Clay yeah. Matthews felt like the driver of all that chaos. Absolutely, but Julius Peppers. But we're wrong. Yeah, we're wrong. We're wrong. Our fans are always right. Yep. So so main event here last. Uh... Last categories, the Packers Offensive Player of the Year, not named Rodgers. That's what makes this one a little bit more exciting, is you actually have a choice here, whereas <laughs> you can't choose against Rodgers otherwise, unless you're Eddie Lacy voting. <laughs> yes. So luckily for Eddie, he finds himself in this category here as well, so I'm sure he'll at least get one vote. So we've got Eddie Lacy with, again, 1,100 yards rushing, Jordy Nelson with 98 catches, 1,500 yards receiving, 13 TDs, Randall Cobb, 1,287 yards, 13 touchdowns as well. Um, and Devonte Adams with the 66 catches and three touchdowns in the two really big games against good teams. Um, and oh, and the last one here I almost missed are, and maybe rightfully so, in the way that the offensive lineman is perceived, is the whole or one of the offensive linemen, any of your choice. Rodgers was sacked few times in career, tenth most rushing yards in team history since 1970. I voted for the offensive line. Or any one of the linemen. I don't know sure. if you want to pick Sitton or Lindsley or Bakhtiari, who quietly solidified himself. Yeah, great as, Yeah, a great tackle. Um, TJ Lang still there. Um, I hope they can <laughs> <laughs> you, you give all these ringing endorsements, <laughs> and then it's TJ Lang is still there. Uh, well, I'll give TJ Lang. He's uh, I I, do, I guess he gets overshadowed a little bit by um, Josh Sitton. Yes, that was very weak praise. But he also was the one who almost beat up in Dominican Sue after the Andre the Giant. Yeah, that dump. was pretty great. Yeah, so he he get uh, maybe I'll say he, he's the one I choose because I'm sick of Sue and a lot of times the Packers feel a little passive aggressive and for him yeah. to go after Sue like two plays later was awesome. Yeah, but that was great. Those guys were great all year and if they can keep them together, they got a great chance to continue to get better and. Um, yeah, I, I think this offense does nothing without those guys. Yeah, and I, I I didn't choose the offensive line, but I think you're right. I, I think that's really was the difference in the offense this year as opposed to years past. That offensive line was just so darn good, mm-hmm. and it felt for once that Rodgers had time. At, you know, at times there was there was snaps where he had five, six seconds to just sit back there, which we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. But I, I chose Jordy just because I thought he really stepped up and became elite mm-hmm. this year with the 13 touchdowns and 1,500 receiving yards. I mean, we've known for a few years how good this guy is, but in the beginning of this year, I mean, he could have been argued as the best receiver in the game. I mean, he was just absolutely elite, and I think he's showing that he's got all the physical tools you could ask for, and he's just as good as anybody else. And I think that, you know, with... With losing all these guys recently, you know, with Jennings and Driver and Finley and James Jones, and he's the guy that's been there, and he's stepped up and completely made up for all those losses, and he's been the reason that they're still the offense they are. So mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll go with Jordy on this one. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. And, yeah, he last year he had a really good season with some bad quarterbacks, and then we finally got to see what he could do with Aaron Rodgers, a team record, 1,500 yards receiving, uh, 1,500 yards receiving, and, 
Yeah, I mean, he's right up there with Julian Edelman and uh, Wes Welker, uh, some of the greats of all time. Like, At least uh, put some bigger guys in there, like an Ed McCaffrey <laughs> or Corbett yeah. or something. Yeah, well, he is amongst the all-time greats like those. I mean, okay. gosh, I, I'm always just thinking of uh, Fred Bolitnikoff and uh, Don Beebe, you know, some of those big-time celebrities uh, at the wide receiver position. The fans agree with you as well. Jordy Nelson got uh, about 60% of the vote. Uh, the other guys, uh, Randall Cobb got one vote, and then the rest going to either the offensive line or Eddie Lacy. Nobody was impressed by Devontae Adams once they were uh, compared to these other uh, guys. And really, we just needed five choices. Yeah, we needed somebody else to throw in there. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely comfortable with Jordy Nelson, and clearly was Aaron's top target all year. And really, you know, I think his, his emergence early in the season really led to what would become a career year for Randall Cobb as well. Yeah, and I think for maybe the first time in his career, for me, he showed that he could just physically beat anybody mm-hmm. um, out there. Whereas maybe in years past, he's, you were kind of like, well, maybe it's because of Rodgers. Maybe he's just a good route runner. But he was just just dominating people on the line of scrimmage, getting by him and running great routes and just showing he was faster than everybody, which mm-hmm. I, I didn't always know in years past he had, but this year he showed he did. Yeah, his biggest play of the year was just burning um – Darrell Revis for the big touchdown against the Patriots yeah. right before the half. So, yeah, that was huge. Okay, so, gosh, that's already the end of the Goldie Awards. Um, Matt, do you have any uh, external monologue before the band plays? Or an external monologue. I, I meant exiting <laughs> monologue. No, I got nothing. They stopped them. They stopped them. And there is your dagger. So now we have reached the official end of the Packers season and certainly the Green and Gold Forever season. And i got to tell you, I'm a little bit sad about that. Uh, it's always fun doing the Goldies, and the, the gosh, the season just feels like it was months ago already. But it's negative 35 wind chill right now, and uh, gosh, I just hate the winter. I, I wish that the NFL season would get stretched out so that the season ends like in mid-March so that it's spring right away as soon as it's yep. over. Um so now we're probably going to take a, a bit more of a hiatus uh, going forward here. We'll probably do a show if we have any big free agent signings and, and as we get closer to the draft. Um, I, I love that everybody likes to hear our opinions on stuff and listen to our off-season shows. We always have uh, a lot of people that follow us through the off-season, and I obviously am going conti- to encourage you to continue to do so, but... The draft is coming up. I'm not going to be your best resource for the draft. I, I used to be big into the draft maybe 10 years ago, but I I think Eddie Lacy's the only guy I ever really wanted the Packers to pick. They ended up picking him, and he was any good. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I just feel like the draft is a little bit of a waste of time, <laughs> that, yeah. more so than I used to think. Yeah, it's so hard to prepare for it because it seems like all the guys you like or that you watched in college that you knew were super great in college, and you're like, they've got to be great pros. They always stink. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's it's hard to really, as somebody who doesn't go and watch a bunch of film and go to these combines and stuff. I, I mean, as much as people say they're overrated, and they they probably are, but they're important too. Like yeah. It, you can't just be a basic fan and, and know exactly who your team should draft. So there's a lot of work that goes into it. So me, <laughs> being a guy who doesn't get to watch all that tape, I'm not going to even pretend to be an expert on it. I can say who the Packers should take, but they'll probably end up being bad. So I'll let them do their thing. Well, and what happens is I watch a lot of college football, as do you. Yeah. And there, there's guys I think are good, and then all of a sudden the mock draft comes out. and uh, They're seventh-round <laughs> projections, and yeah. apparently they run like a 6-4 40-yard dash. Yeah, and then Mitch Peterson from Stinkoff State, you know, is the number two pick in the draft because of mm. some cell phone video that Mel Kuyper watched. So yep. it's like, I I don't know. And I, I was the one sitting there but being in 2008 like, gosh, I can't believe they wasted their first-round pick on a schlub like Jordy Nelson. At least they stole Brian Brom, though. You know, yep. so <laughs> it's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Okay, so definitely check back. Uh, Throughout the offseason, I want to try to do, I, I feel like I say this every year, but I want to try to do some more things on the website during the offseason. And I have an idea for a series that I might be able to get to in the summer. Um, it, it probably will be a while because this is going to be the last 
broadcast of Eric and Oshkosh, because soon I'll be relocating to be Eric and Appleton from now on. So we hard to get used to. It will. I'm sure I'll screw it up the first couple of times. And, uh, you know, Matt and I are slowly visiting every single city in Wisconsin and uh, have broadcast from many different locations. We just want everyone to feel like they're a part of the show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's on tour very slowly. Um, we we have to pay rent in order to go on tour with this show <laughs> at this point. But, yeah, so uh, we'll have a show probably in a while after free agency really gets cooking. But, once again, we've said it on previous shows, but I, I can't thank you all enough for listening and caring what two fans and nothing more have to say about the Packers. And uh, some of you have written some very kind notes to us and yeah. sent them to us. And uh, it's not to sound like Russell Wilson, but it's definitely humbling, and uh, it really gives me the the, the will to want to keep making the show happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for those. So that'll put a wrap on the 2014 Packers season, the almost great season, and uh, hopefully the Packers can make some improvements in the offseason and uh, we'll have another great, great season in 2015. But keep us in mind over the offseason. Check back from time to time. We'll have some shows for you. So for Matt in Altoona, Eric, for one last time, signing out from Oshkosh. Thanks for a great season. Take care, everyone.